Oi, oi, and welcome to the Orient Outlook podcast with myself, Steve Nussbaum, and as always, my good friend, South Stand Chum, the bearded legend, Mr. Paul Levy. Thank you very much. Hello, everybody. Welcome back. This is episode number 123, and it's going to be a real bumper show as we have a loft update for you. We caught up with Steve Jenkins and spoke about his successful and interesting SOM tours that he arranges. And also, we've got two games to talk to you about. So I think let's not mess around. Let's just crack on. And as always, we start with our friends over at the Supporters Club. Yep. So just a one trip to tell you about that is coming up next Saturday on the 2nd of December away to Solihull. It's my wife's birthday, so I won't be going. The coaches leave at half eight in the morning for a 3 p.m. kickoff. The price for this one is £25 for adults and £22 for concessions. And as always, there is a £3 surcharge to non-members. And remember... To make your own arrangements for match tickets, that price does not include your match ticket. For this one, coaches can be booked uh, normally by a supporters club, but it's not a home game. So the only way to get tickets for this one now for the coach is on the travel line on 07722 That's this Saturday, the 2nd of December. And we are now delighted to have Vice Chair and media spokesperson Tom Davies from Loft on the Phone live with us now. Uh, good, good evening uh, to you, Tom. Thanks for coming back on. Um, good evening, guys. Thanks for coming on. Um, just wanted to sort of have a catch-up with you um, about Loft and, and perhaps you could give us an update since the last time we spoke to you uh, was just after the court case of you-know-who. Um, <laughs> and, yeah, just perhaps you could just bring us up to date with what's happened uh, since then and obviously over the summer. Well, things, I mean, the way we've been working is obviously things have been moving much more slowly than they were last season. We had to kind of respond to kind of new events almost every day by uh, by the end of the season, whereas this time, you know, it's things taking their time to kind of uh, rebuild the club. And a lot of what um, we've been in contact with, um, we've had contact with, with the chairman and, and Ken Teague and with, with Marshall, when, who was the chief executive, uh, interim chief executive until recently. Uh, and it's ta- and from, their, from their end, it's taking them a while to kind of sift through the wreckage of um, what they've inherited and getting things back on their feet. Um, so our focus has been really, um, internally we've been trying to fix the kind of um, terms of our supporters director election uh, with supporters have been getting kind of format um, that works for both of us, which we'll put to our AGM next week. Um, and we've been working on that. We've been working on... Um, We've been in discussions with the club about the, um, the regeneration fund issue and some of the um, ways in which we can and can't use that. Again, that's going to be something that will be discussed at our meeting. Uh, so obviously, it's got a very strict mandate in terms of what we can do with it because um, it was set up in a, in a crisis situation to deal with very specific um, uh, problems that we were facing at that point. Uh, I've also been doing um, quite a bit, carrying on with our little plugging away at the EFL and, and their regulatory failures as we see it last, last season. Um, we still have I've been having some dialogue with them about, we've, we've asked them some questions about how they applied or failed to apply their rules in regard to um, you know whose tenure um, over <laughs> the previous three years. Um, and having some slightly unsatisfactory responses from them, but we're kind of hoping that um, they're, they're looking at reviewing their rules anyway, and we're, we're kind of keeping up the pressure along with some other trusts about how they how they might improve them. Um, I mean, obviously Blackpool were quite interested in it, uh, and, and some of the other clubs like Coventry and Charlton, they had an interest in what we were doing because they felt, they felt let down by the EFL as well. Um, so even though we're not in the uh, Football League anymore, and probably won't be next season either, um, this is something that we want to carry on pressing on because we, 
partly because we kind of feel we're a little bit let down, but also for the future of football in general, because uh, we're an outward-looking trust and we want to um, show support for others uh, who may get into similar messes. So you mentioned the AGM. So when is the AGM, Tom, and, how, and AGM, where is it and how do yeah, people get there? The AGM is uh, Monday week, it's the 4th of December at the uh, Leighton Stone Next Servicemen's Club, um, which is where we had our meeting in March. Um and it's at half past seven. Um, it's sort of members only, but if you can join on the day, uh, it's minimum of one pound. Um, and yeah, we'll then be, there'll be various things to discuss. Um, it'd be nice to actually have an open discussion because people have a lot of social media interactions about stuff. So it'd be nice to get everyone together and uh, after all the dust has settled from last season to actually sort of work out um, a way, the way forward and, and see where we go from there, really. But yeah, it's, um, it'd be good to see everyone. So if you're not a member, you can still go and you have to sign up on Monday for the bargain price of a pound. Yeah. Fantastic. That's, yeah. That's it, yeah. I, I, think, I think the main uh, bulk of that, uh, of that meeting is going to be what you're going to do with 175 grand. And I remember yeah. at the Meet the Chairman or Meet the Owners evening, um, Kent quite categorically said that you won't need to buy to get on the... Uh, to get on the board as a, as a uh, supporter, director, representative. So I guess there's going to be some discussions around progress around that. I also think there yeah. might be a question around the um, supporters on the board. That's what I just said. Yeah, I'll say that. Yeah, supporters director. Yeah, there will be. I mean, we've, we've kind of, we've, we've consulted with supporters direct, the umbrella organisation for trust, and we've obviously talked to the supporters club about what would be the best um, and most you know, open and accountable and fairest way of doing it. So we kind of, kind of, going to use you know the, the electorate if you like will be the membership of both our organizations and a lot of us are in, are in both of them anyway um and uh, we, you know, we could, we're, they will, may have different ways of selecting possible candidates for it um but then once we go forward with the sports we can present some candidates uh, or those who want to do it it's uh, it's, it's it's no it's no mean job really it's, it's, it's quite a quite a responsible position it obviously requires quite a lot of um commitment and a lot of uh um, judgment um so yeah there'll be there'll be discussions about that and the regeneration fund issue i mean we we never we never sort of definitely laid down a hard and fast thing about buying buying a place off the board i mean it was a, it was a kind of a club offer to, to, to put support on the board which is you know appreciated after what's gone before um i mean in terms of our mandate for what we can do with that money then obviously having a stake in the club would possibly you could argue would be one use of it um, through through a shareholding, um, if the club aren't in, aren't interested in that or, or don't want to do that, then we can have, have a discussion about uh, where we go from there. Um, I mean, it could be that we actually, you know, um, keep it for now and and yeah, you know, as a kind of rainy day fund. Rainy day, for, yeah. you, know, you never know what might happen. You know, a few years down the track. So I mean, there's not an urgency about it in terms of you know money is needed des- desperately by someone now. So I think it's just a, t- a time for call heads and, and we make you know and, and make sure we, we do it. We're legally watertight as well because um, you know not, we don't want to have taken money from people and spent it on something which um, they didn't p- foresee it being spent on. So mm-hmm. you know we've got to make sure we um, satisfy everyone uh, as much as we can, really, because it's um, yeah, it's a responsible yeah, position. Absolutely. So if you want to get yeah. your voice heard, you can get yourself down to the loft AGM Monday, the fourth of December. Tom will be there. All the other board members will be there talking about the Regeneration Fund, the Sports Director and much more. Tom, always a pleasure. Thank you for giving up part of your Sunday evening. And we look no forward to hearing about the Loft AGM. And we'll see you soon. All right. Thanks Cheers, a lot, guys. Cheers, Tom. Bye-bye. Take Cheers, care. Tom. Bye. Bye.
So that was Tom Davis uh, from Loft. So thanks, Tom, for joining us. Paul, what would you like for Christmas or Hanukkah? What would be the ideal gift for you if you could have anything in the world? Well, do you know what? I, I looked in my cupboard earlier and, I'm, I'm, <laughs> and I do like a cup of tea and I'm missing a couple of mugs. Nice, right. white, clean, with a nice, a nice Orient podcast logo on it. That would be my dream. Funny you should say that, Mr. Lee. Really? Why? So Tell we me. have just signed off on the latest round of merchandise coming to you from the Orient Outlook podcast. We will have mugs available from early to mid-December Price still TBC and the postage still TBC, but keep your eyes and ears peeled. This is the perfect Christmas gift for you or for a loved one who also likes the podcast, off anyone. So make sure you get the latest round of merchandise for the Orient yeah. Outlet podcast coming need, very soon. Or if you just need a decent mug to go in your cupboard. Yeah, absolutely. You know, everyone loves a cup of tea. So that was um, that was the latest from Loft and a little bit of an update on what we've been doing as well. So Monday the 20th yeah. of November, the, the week that was, the club put out an advert for a marketing manager and a sales executive. A clear sign of intent following Danny Macklin's appointment as CEO and he's only been in the job a yeah. week and he's just getting... Looking to expand and grow the network at the club. Not wasting any time. So I don't know to Danny. So it looks like we're going to be bringing a few more skilled people into the club. So Tuesday the 21st of November. So before the Chester game, we had a long and overdue chat with Steve <coughs> Jenkins, who had never been on the podcast before. So many of you will know Steve for the amazing work he's done around the World War One history, Orient's connection with that. He's obviously written a book, done loads of stuff that's been done on the back of that. So we caught up with Steve just to ask him about what was going on, because obviously he's got some tours that he arranges every year, and just to see what he was doing. So here is Steve Jenkins before the Chester match on Tuesday. So Steve, thanks very much indeed for joining us. A bit of a long uh, overdue um, invitation to come on. Um, wanted to talk to you about your song trip, but also to talk to you about the play that relates to the song and the World, World War One boys. So tell yeah. us about that. Okay, first of all, the song trip. Um, next year will be the sixth trip that I've organised since 2006 to Northern France to visit the Orient War Graves. Um, not only is it very important from the historical point of view that obviously we're going to visit the Orient lads to their resting places, it's also a great opportunity to, um, for the supporters to bond together. It's a real good, um, uh, yeah, a really good trip to France. We go to bars and restaurants in the evenings and uh, so it's, it's not morbid. Um, the actual countryside is beautiful, very similar to Devon and rolling hills and countryside um, and the graves and the cemeteries are perfectly looked after by the Commonwealth War Graves Commission. Um, they go around literally with scissors cutting the grass all around the edge of the uh, headstones and that. And I remember when I first went there in 1999 with Dave Dodd and myself, uh, Dennis Barefield and my wife and we visited their graves and it was a strange feeling and a very proud feeling that I think we were probably the first people to attend their graves in almost a century. And coming home from that trip, David turned around to me and said, you should write a book about this. And I did. My book, They Took the Lead, uh, led to all the interest for the Orient supporters. Um, within a, a, year, a few years, uh, I organised my first trip in 2006 to the Somme. I took 120 over. And bringing it up to date now, uh, next year, Mean I would have taken in excess of 1,400 people there. The Pats would never even have thought about going to France and the Somme uh, to visit cemeteries and war graves and memorials. Uh, initially, because of the Orient connection, but we're also attracting people from outside the club to get involved in what we've been doing. Uh, we've had people from outside the country as well, different countries flying over, join up on the trip because they hear what we're doing and going over with us in 
coming away. Really, really, really proud of what we've done. And uh, Sean, listen, they're going to be supporters and keep in touch with the club. So this year we actually went to eight for the first time in Belgium. There's no connection really with the Orient apart from one player by the name of James Greenton who played for Orient before the Great War. Um, he subsequently left the club but signed up to serve in the Great War and he was killed uh, during the Battle of Ypres and he's buried in the, in the cemetery. So he laid a reef there on the way to uh, the trip in the cemetery outside Ypres uh, on behalf of the Orient and that felt good to do that, sort of put things right. And uh, we took a band over there and we played Last Post and, Re and Revalley at the Menine Gate. And that's a very big honour to do that. It's a world-famous event to take part in. And we had the whole band parade. And it's all on YouTube if people want to go on there. I formed a band called the 17th uh, Pals Battalion Band, which uh, commemorates the uh, 17th Middlesex, which is the football's battalion, which the O's joined up into. And our, our object is to commemorate the Orient and the footballers that served in the Great War events such as going to Ypres. Uh, we also paraded uh, on the Somme in 2016 and we were shown on, on BBC News in the morning, the breakfast news that day, which was a real honour to do that when we paraded at Tietval, which was a huge memorial that's got the names of 72,000 uh, men that got no known grave and that includes William Jonas, one of the three Orient knights that were killed. So as I say, next year we're going back and uh, I'll be taking 200 over there in four coaches. I shall also be having the family uh, descendants of George Scott uh, coming with us, which is a great honour. They're coming down from Bolton to join up with us on the trip. They came in uh, 2014 and that year we had the families of Richard McFadden and also William Jonas with us. And that was an amazing feeling to have all three families of the lads that were killed together for the first time in a century almost, you know. So... Uh, Looking forward to this. I've only got three twin rooms left if anyone's interested. They can contact me, uh, Steve Jenkins, 1889. Sorry, start again. Steve Jenkins, 1881 at btinternet.com. That's my email address. If anyone's interested, contact me. £50 deposit secures your place on this historic trip. And, and also, as well as the trip, uh, obviously we'll be visiting the, uh, the memorial we've got erected on the Somme in a village called Flair. Uh, we're the first football club in the entire country to have a memorial to uh, commemorate the lads um, uh, that served in the Great War that were footballers. And uh, it is a Clapton Orient memorial. It's got the Somme badge on it. It's over two metres high. So uh, it's a fair size in granite. And uh, when it was unveiled, we had Barry Bright from the FA come down to, as an official representation of the Football Association uh, to lay the free lion's crest on the, the memorial. So we're very proud of this fact and this honour, as are the villagers in Flair. They always put on a really good uh, uh, showing for us with refreshments and everything. So we've had the, uh, the trips, we've had the memorial, my book, and it led to the play, The Greater Game, which was first staged in, at the Southwark Playhouse in 2016. Yeah, it was yeah, great, really, really good. good. Really enjoyable. We were so proud to put that, that, that play on. Being a professional production was under a lot of pressure because everyone in the cast had to be paid, not only the cast, but the backroom team as well, the director, Tilly Vosborough, and obviously the actors. We had uh, Nick Hancock, uh, Danny Walters, and, and also uh, a few others that were... Uh, the names escape me because I say this hasn't been free arranged. So, but anyway, it was a fantastic production, and and despite Orient having a really awful season last year, it was great to see so many Orient supporters come along, and the lads from the Leighton Orient Trust and some of the staff from upstairs to come to see the performance, and uh, we're now looking to put the play on. Uh, next year hopefully a bit closer to the West End and if we can get it in the West End we will and once again it's a professional production um, the Professional Footballers Association Professional Footballers Association have already agreed to sponsor us the Royal British Legion are going to be one of our um, uh, not backers as such but one of our uh, 
uh, supporters and the fact that we can use all their marketing facilities throughout the whole country. Uh, they can't give us any financial backing, not because they don't want to, but they've got to cover the whole aspect of the end of the war next year. Everyone's after their action, as it were, like, course, you know. Yeah. So they're, they're, they're giving us our support for the media point of view, which is fantastic. Um, the Orient have given us their support also for their media and everything else. I'm sure you would as well, nearer the Absolutely, time. Absolutely, yeah. And yep. Leighton Orient Trust, and so many people are coming to us. We've got a few arms in the fire, and we may be coming to people asking if they want to help sponsor the, uh, the player as well. You know, we, we know some people that have already come forward, so there'll be further news on that once we know if any other large organisations are coming on board. But as I say, we're going to look into have um, uh, a more higher profile uh, venue next year. And there'll be a different cast, but we're confident that it's going to be an excellent production. The, the playwright's actually tweaked the, the script slightly. Um, he's doing that in mind to bring it even more uh, in line with how things finished up at the end of the War of the Orient, because the whole team were, the whole club was de sort of demolished almost by what they did. The great service they put in for the club left them weakened. And if you remember, obviously, that Arsenal moved from South London in 1913 over here as well. It got very congested with football clubs, so supporters had to split their loyalties where they wanted to go. And to be honest, since the Great War, and then Arsenal moving as well, Orient haven't really recovered from... Uh, being the size club they were 100 years ago. They were really looking to establish themselves as being a, one of the top clubs if they got into the first division, which unfortunately was not to be because of their efforts in the Great War. So I know the whole club's very proud of what's going on in the Great War. Kent and Nigel have already spoken to me about their interest in the Great War. And I know that uh, Nigel gave Kent a copy of my book before he did, yeah. officially came on board. Did, yeah. And that apparently swayed him to show more interest. And I'm very proud of that as well. And it's great to know that I'm there in touch with about seven uh, families of uh, footballers that used to play for the Orient that served in the Great War. And uh, they're all members of the Supporters Club now. And they also interrelate with each other as well. Still going, still going. Yeah, yeah. still going. So, okay, sorry. So, yeah, they're now, they're all friends of each other on Facebook. <laughs> they send each other Christmas cards, and I get a real kick out of that and a real buzz that I'm sure the lads of a hundred years ago would, would like this to know that everyone's together now, and we've got in a full circle. I'm sure they want to be gutted where they where we're in find themselves at the moment, but they'd be willing them on to give their all. So, uh, yeah, and my, my my work on this subject hasn't finished. It will carry on rolling along. But we know next year is a really, really important year, 2018, which is the uh, centenary of the end of the Great War. I'm going to get Paul from Pill at the Post, not only for, at the Orient, but also with, throughout the country, because they know people know that the FA and the Football League and the National Football Museum in Manchester know what I've been doing, along with Peter Kitchen. Um, Kitchen's been fantastic helping me out of all this, and he's been an ambassador, obviously, of his connections as being a fine footballer, but also with his excellent work, with his research and love of everything to do with the Great War. So we work together well. And we go over to France on our own sometimes, perhaps to other halves, to do some smaller visits to see where we can go on future trips. So every every time we go to the Somme, we obviously base it around the Orient sites, the memorial and the graves. We always try and do uh, a different itinerary to make sure it's interesting for people that have come more than once. And we have a good number of people that have been on every trip. Wow. So, uh, yeah, it's a unique thing. I mean, the band's going around around the country. Remembrance Weekend, we've done four functions. We, we was involved in remembrance ceremonies at Harms Park and in Chinkford on the Saturday. I was at Ebbsfleet on the Saturday afternoon with the song banner, and the fans helped me get that onto the pitch. And Ebbsfleet were fantastic, allowing us to put that onto the pitch. Because you always out, it's out of your hands when you go to an away game, yeah. Remembrance Weekend, what we can and can't do. And on the Sunday, we was here at Leighton, 
where uh, we laid the, the wreath on, on the war memorial that's got the uh, Orient plaque. And we also had two wreaths from Hart Midlothian, one from the football club in Edinburgh and one from the London branch of the supporters club. And that was uh, um, very good to see and it's a warm feeling that we get with Hearts. Likewise, I've set the wreath up to Edinburgh for Hearts to lay a wreath on our behalf at their memorial. Uh, and it's hoped that closer ties will take place between the two clubs. A lot of supporters already saying, well, can't we get a game around? That'd be fantastic. That would be a marvellous thing to happen. Um, I fancy going up to Edinburgh, to be honest, to go up there, because it's a great weekend. <laughs> yeah. but if you want to come down to London, I'm sure the Orient would love to do that as well. I'm sure we'd get a decent gate as well for that one. So there's a lot of things happening. I mean, who knows? Maybe that uh, Orient and the Hearts are getting even closer together. So um, I think I've probably covered everything at the moment. But we have. I'm chairman of the OSOM Memorial Fund. Um, say my, my website... Um, uh, it's www.theytookthelead.com which tells you about my book and what we're doing and there's also a Facebook page uh, all about the uh, Osom Memorial Fund so I thank you for the opportunity of talking to you about this and I hope I haven't gone on for too long oh, mate, no, absolutely. You know, and I'd love to keep you posted in the future what's going on and please do come back to me maybe early in the new year and we can give you an update so that was Steve Jenkins before the match versus Chester on Tuesday all that from one question to Steve. Amazing. So thank what you very guy. much. Thank you very much to Steve for doing the interview and any updates we get on the, any of his things uh, he's doing, we will update you and, you know, two interviews in the first 20 minutes, not a bad episode so far. Absolutely. So moving on then, Tuesday evening we had Chester at home. The team lined up with Sam Sargent in goal, Caprice, Sendles White, Happy and Widdersen, with Lawless, Clay, Dayton, McEnough, Brophy and Bon up top. Subs with Dean Brill, Ellis, Westbrook, Mooney and Harold. Yep. For me, pretty decent side and following Saturday's performance, a side I expect to do a job against a team you know, that, that that's below us. So obviously sad that Charlie Granger is, is injured. But Yep, and obviously you write... We write the views as soon as the team is announced. So sometimes you might listen and go, what are they talking about? We lost and they're excited about the team. This is all written before the team uh, go out to play. And for me, so probably the team I expected, as I don't think Harold is fit enough for a full 90 minutes following his injury. So before we go through the match, just a big thank you to EnergyBet uh, for allocating us tickets up in the Olympic suite for this one. And we hope our competition winners, Joel Bayford, and his sister Frankie enjoyed the experience. Yep. Hopefully we'll be doing a bit more work uh, during the coming season with Energy Bet and hopefully a few more competitions. Absolutely. So the match kicked off with us kicking towards the south stand and we started quite well. Look, looked pretty dominant, putting some pressure on the uh, on the Chester goal. Yeah, and the six-minute perfect start was capped off for us and the boys is macking up from the corner, which was taken short, got the ball, put in a peach of a cross, a superb cross from macking up on the left. Bourne rose superbly with a great header, Ball, beat the keeper, looped into the corner, and we were 1-0 up to the delight of the crowd. I thought that was a really well-worked yep. corner routine, and good to see Bon on the score sheet. Yeah. From there, you're thinking, well, Chester must be low in confidence. We're going to go and smash these boys now. We could be could be anything out of four or five. Yeah, but the goal seemed to have the opposite effect on Orient, <laughs> yeah. who suddenly look a bit hesitant. Chester started to put on a bit of pressure on the O's defence, and then out of nowhere, equalising in really quite bizarre circumstances. Yeah. In the 15th minute, Andy Hall put in a cross which got deflected, uh, the ball spun, uh, looped goalwards, uh, Sam Sargent appeared to sort of claw the ball away on the line, um, it comes out again and I can't remember who it was that sort of just put it out for a corner but actually the referee blew his whistle, looked over at his linesman um, and gave them a goal yeah. and from the linesman's position of being several yards 
behind the ball behind the ball yeah. and you know being the distance that he was quite how he could how he could call that I don't know the line gave it very quickly but like you said he wasn't in line with the play so not he can't he can't have had a decent view of it no. and to the dismay of most well to everyone in the Orient crowd and especially the Orient bench we found ourselves pegged back at one or a very odd call there um, and it wasn't to be the last odd call we will talk about uh, nope. in this match so it was one all um, for me I think Sargent was a bit slow in reacting to the deflection on the ball. Not well, in my eyes, it wasn't a goal, but maybe didn't help himself out there. But that's me being very harsh uh, on Sam there. So we kicked off after the equaliser, twenty second minute. Mackinaf passed into Bond, who got the ball to Dayton, who cut inside really well. Decent shot, Lynch saved well. So at this point, all to play for one all uh, with both teams looking. To, to take the lead yeah and then in the 38th minute Sendles White and Akin Tundi clash the ref looks long and after a uh, sorry the ref looks and after a long pause decides to give Chester a free kick in a fairly dangerous position just a few yards outside the box which infuriated all of us I mean I've watched that back two or three times now you've seen them given and I've seen them not given it, and just on that night we just had a referee who was out to make a name for if himself it, if he would have just blown the whistle Straight away, I don't think anyone talked about it. I think we just say we conceded a free kick. It was the fact that he took so long to make his mind up about it, and which then to is, be swayed by the which, 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 which is why yeah. we're talking about it. But um, so up up stepped Ross Hanna, who curled the ball into the corner past Sam Sargent on his side, um, and suddenly Chester a, a two one up. Yeah, I mean for me the free kick should never have been given, but it was. Okay. You know, mistakes happen, but again for me. I don't want to bash Sam Sargent, but I think Sargent should be doing better there. It's his side. He should be protecting that. And as soon mm. as the striker steps up, he should be knowing that the ball's going to come on his side. So for me, disappointing to concede. And yeah, you know, we can say poor refereeing decision, but the guys, Ross Hanna, has still got a job to do, to do from outside the box to be at our wall and our keeper. And he does it. And Chester with 2-1 up. Yeah, Crazy. unbelievably. Quite shocking, really. Yeah. Um, things go from bad to worse though because in the 43rd minute a long ball is played deep into the Orient half Sargent comes out uh, he tries to head it but misses it uh, Niall Bell goes in and goes down apparently under no contact from Jamie Sendles White who is then shown a straight red card from the referees the Orient faithful uh, we're all stunned by that with some in the West Stand going absolutely berserk and for me I've watched that back two or three times this evening as well and I'm still a little bit undecided. It looks like there is an arm in the guy's back as the guy's already going down. So I think the guy's already going down in the box and you're not going to run with your arms behind your back just in case. I mean, I think the guy has dived there and I think on the way down, Sendles White has sort of shoved him or, it was, and whatnot. So I think the ref has probably given it on the strength of that. I can't really... I mean, he's given a bizarre goal in the first place, so I can't really as soon, fathom. As soon as that ball was played over the top and you saw Sergeant coming out, you could see it and absolute mile off what was going to happen he'd miss it and then he'd be in a it. deadly I mean, situation their man either scores from a tap in or he goes down gets a player sent off and they score the penalty in, in the perfect world for them so I can't blame their man for doing it I, I'd understand if an Orient fan done it ref in real time I think that's a difficult decision to make the player he's con the ref I think has bought a penalty yeah. but that will happen That we won't be the last club that happens to Sundles White puts his head in his hands as he gets shown a red his reaction seemed very um, I see it a lot though it doesn't really mean anything yeah me. I know the so players reaction they always seem shocked when you've seen someone give away a blatant free kick how they get a yellow card for example yeah I mean the bench shocked by that the bench were also shocked I think we went <coughs> onto the bench shortly after the penalty so at that point we're goal down at home to Chester a man down and looking at 3-1 
as we face a penalty. So Ross Hanna stepped up, shot to his right. But Sam Sargent, I slated him before, made a superb penalty save. It was a decent penalty Redeemed as well. Himself. Good penalty. He was going in the corner, decent pace on it, but Sargent guessed correctly, pushed it away with a strong hand, and he kept the score at 2-1. And that seemed to really spur on the Orient crowd, who at this point, like you said, were already in the West End particularly, getting wound up by Marcus Bignot. Uh, on the sidelines I don't know what was going on there a lot of verbals though I think he was just enticing the fans but it was a very heated uh, Brisbane road and seemed to continue it's just before half time Ross Embleton was sent to the stands for arguing the penalty decision and he ended up punching a ball away so for that was given his marching orders uh, and ended up in the gallery on the uh, on the balcony so yeah. That led to furious fans approaching Big Nut again and the situation seemed to flare up and we were above where that was happening so we could kind of see it we got a tweet as that was going on from D David Yu who said Kent Teague came down to the West Stand and is stopping people having a go at the ref much respect him a class act but even Kent was getting abused from a certain section of supporters at this point so you're just thinking what is going on if there's one man you don't well if there's one man who doesn't deserve anything you know from the fans and that way it's Kent Teague Yeah, but also at this point, there also seems to be some yeah. sort of fracas going on uh, with some fans in the gallery involving Martin Ling. And I understand that um, some words were exchanged there. I don't know exactly what happened, but um, yeah, that, that this seems to be everyone, the, the anger levels in, in the Matchroom Stadium were at an all-time high. I think everyone was wound up by the current position we find ourselves in, by the refereeing position yeah. in that match and the result. But look, we're all worrying at the end of the day. I if fans are going to have a go at Kent Teague and Martin Ling and, they, and I think Martin actually snapped back if that's what's going to happen you just have to step back and go look what is going on it's our club and it's no way that this should be happening yeah. at this point in time if anything everyone needs to stick together so first half injury time we actually had the ball in the net as Woodson heads on Mackinac's free kick ball came down to Happy who smashed the ball into the net but the referee had already whistled for a foul but again, another debatable decision. It didn't look like a foul from where we were. Seen them all the time. Players barging each other. Will, Someone moves. I will say that like, the whistle went long before Happy shot. So it wasn't like Happy shot and the whistle goes after the ball was in there. The whistle went long before the Happy shot the ball. But again, someone like that, again, could just trigger the crowd off. So yeah. the halftime whistle went to a chorus of boos for the officials as the O's come in a man down and a goal down. Following one of the strangest 45 minutes of football I think we're ever likely to well, see. Well, season's not over yet. So. Well, there were three big refereeing calls in that half, weren't there? There was their goal, the free kick, the penalty and the sending off, even arguably the offside decision. But you so can see that the fourth crazy. official was having a lot of verbals with Ross during that first half as well. And, 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 and it was the, ref, the fourth official that reported him to the ref, Ross to the referee that then ended up him being sent to the stand. I mean, we could have gone into a much greater analysis of that first half of the refereeing decisions, but we want to try and get this podcast in at a slightly reasonable time this evening. So, so yeah, when in at half-time 2-1 down, we had a tweet from at LOFC1971 who said, never seen a more inept refereeing performance than that first half. The National League need to look at the performance of Alan Dale tonight totally out of his depth yeah Sarah Garlic 88 tweeted us and said not seen a refereeing display this bad for a long while if ever a dubious goal line a free kick a penalty a sending off and a disallowed goal decisions made so far and we're only halfway through yeah and possibly my favourite tweet uh, of uh, one of all time actually at Winboy said who gave the YTS kid a whistle yeah very brilliant very good so really 10 minutes announced and 3,000 352 of 173 fans making the trip from Chester so well Decent. Done to the Chester fans Decent you know, away support on a long journey night. and their team aren't exactly setting the world alight so credit to them so second half kicked off two subs for the O's as Craig Clay and Alex Lawless were replaced with Zane Westbrook 
and Matt Harold with Orient reverting to a 4-3-2 formation. Yeah, and the opening 15 minutes of the second half, we look okay, still in it, putting Chester uh, defence under some pressure and then boom, JB McEnough has an effort from at least, uh, it was at least 25 yards out that, that he's just smashed uh, into the net and made it 2-2. Um, he was some distance out, yeah, 25 yards at least and he just effort. banged it in. Great effort, he was having a very good out game, JB. For me, probably his best game since he's been back Agreed. at the club. I think he was trying to impress his mates uh, in the crowd, Mr. Lisby <laughs> and Mr. Simpson. But yeah. at that point, no more than we deserve. <laughs> you know, delight for Joby, superb effort. Um, and he was having, like I said, best game I've seen him back in the no shirt. And having watched that goal back, and I know Jay does listen, I noticed that Joby gave him the uh, binocular the eyes, uh, yeah, celebration as well. Good so. Uh, nicking your one there again mate the next 20 minutes sees no real chances few efforts on goal not troubling the keepers at either end very much but you felt actually that there could be a, yeah. a lapse somewhere yeah. and there could be another goal in this so we had some nice spell of possession, spells of possession looking pretty solid all over the pitch actually bearing in mind we're down to 10 men yeah. uh, Dean Brill barking out the orders Martin Ling sitting behind him obviously with Ross up on the balcony and being up on that balcony does give you a tremendous viewpoint yeah. and, and being able to watch the patterns of play and, and, and where holes open up so I think it probably is quite helpful but yeah decent yeah 81st minute David Mooney uh, comes on for James Dayton for me I thought this was a perfect sub why at the perfect time I just thought the game was calling out for Mooney because he's always capable of getting a chance as we'll see in the 86th minute that would come on to almost a perfect story as the chance did come to him but he pulled it wide so Caprice that wasn't crossed. an easy shot by the way no it wasn't at all on his part no it wasn't so and Caprice, he was only just wide yeah. Caprice crossed the ball in a Harold header Harold one came down to Mooney he had a bit of space but volleyed it just wide of the post if there's anyone in the stadium that I wanted that ball to drop to in that scenario, it yeah. was Mooney. Snapshot, no time to think, just boss straight on target. But he, and he sure, wasn't that far wide. Wasn't that far wide. Good effort it's from, from Mooney. not happening for Mooney at the moment, is it? It isn't, no. Um, 88th minute though, Macaulay Bond is booked for dissent, which is an absolutely ridiculous situation because he was having a go at the referee's assistant. Uh, that is That was his fifth booking of the season, which meant that he would miss the match away to Torquay. And for me, I think that's just petulance and, and stupidity on his part I think part that's really silly that. at Macaulay Bond. So obviously he's our leading goal scorer. Yeah. Right, he's had a good season. He's been called up to Zimbabwe. And he's ended up getting himself a booking against the bottom team where you'd think he'd clean up. Like in terms of goals. Goals, yeah. Get a massive opportunity against one of the bottom teams. Disappointing there. But I guess after some of the refereeing decisions, you can't really blame him for dissent. And then four minutes of injury time were added on. But there are no real chances. The full-time whistle went. An exciting match that will be remembered for all the wrong reasons, I think. Finished late in Orient 2. Chester 2. Post-match, Ross Embleton said, I say them a lot that there's that... I say to them a lot that that's the bare minimum and what we've got to try and channel is the way in which we finish these games so it's not always us having to throw the kitchen sink at the opposition to try and score and get back into it. We want to be on the front foot and to see out games and to go and get the second and the third goal to see to seal a real positive performance. He goes on to say, if we continue to show this fighting spirit and attitude, then we'll start moving in the right direction. But at the same time, we've got to stop making silly mistakes. I think that's probably quite an understatement yeah. there. Uh, collectively, we've got to keep working to try and defend 
better. Yeah, he also apologised for getting himself sent to the stands. He said he must do better under no circumstances. So fair play there to Ross. So that yeah. meant the league table. That point actually meant we slipped down a place to 20th in the National League. So we'll have a full table roundup later on in the podcast. So your views on Chester, Mr. Yeah, Lillian. another game really of two contrasting halves. Let's start with the first half. For me, what an extraordinary half. I thought we started well, high intensity, creating chances, kind of like how we left off yeah. uh, on Saturday's game. Then out of nowhere, how the linesman can see from his position to give us a goal, for me, is absolutely outrageous. And then he awarded a free kick that shouldn't really have been, and, and, and Sam couldn't get, get across to save it. So we go 1-0 up, but by half-time, all hell broken loose. The ref seemed to have uh, lost control of the game, and that really didn't need to be that way. Second half, we're much more composed, although... Jamie Sendles White will feel aggrieved about his red card and their man had conned the ref. Uh, given the retrospective punishment a Palace player received earlier in the week, perhaps a Chester player may get punished too if the Orient nothing. Um, if the Orient put in uh, for it. I don't know if uh, nothing has happened did, off did, it. Didn't so appeal it in the end, no. They didn't appeal it. Oh, okay. I missed that. Emotions were running higher as Ross was sent to the stands, which meant uh, Dean was running the team with help from Martin, who seemed to get into an argument with some fans in the gallery. I will say Dean brought done very well, I thought. Barking out the orders, passionate, thought he'd done well, Dean. Absolutely agree. Absolutely. Then step up my man of the match with Joby McEnough with a superb goal to equalise. Another point in our quest to move up the table, although we dropped. So Ross hadn't, at that point, Ross hadn't lost... Lost the game, two two games, yeah. two draws. So for me, an absolute bizarre game uh, that will be remembered for all the wrong reasons. Started well, good intensity and pressure, and we took a deserved lead. But then the same old story, poor defending. And although the first goal shouldn't have stood, and it's arguable that free kick should not have been given, for me, I think Sargent should be doing better with both. And I'm sorry to dig Sam out there, because I think he's done very well uh, over the last couple of games and last season as well. And once the ref gives the penalty, I think he has to send Sandals White off as well. Yeah. Um, and Ross, I think he said it, well, we did say in this post-match, but he needs to keep his head as a manager when those around him are losing theirs. And well done to Dean Brown in the second half. Performance was good in the second half. We kept shape and deservedly equalised with McEnough, who I thought had his best game since returning. And we could have nicked it if Mooney puts that in at the end. Because you imagine how bonkers the ground would have gone. That would have been amazing. So a decent point in the circumstances, but I guess in hindsight, you would have liked to have taken all three before the game always good to meet fans of the podcast we met quite a few and CX players and friends such as Lisby Jay Simpson we also met Terry Howard who was yeah. up um, in the gallery doing uh, hosting hosting so you know I can't recommend that experience enough if you're ever around and got to spare a couple of quid it's well worth doing you get a player who hosts you get a nice dinner uh, and a good vibe and I have, quite I have to say just to interject there that the food was absolutely tremendous I think Steve Day, um, Dixon Steve Dixon said it was 25 quid and you don't have to sit in the west stand to be able to enjoy the hospitality you can go and then take your seat wherever you sit in the ground east, north or south you don't have to be a west stand season ticket holder and I absolutely think that it's a really enjoyable uh, experience to be up there to listen to an injured player well not that they're injured, but to listen to an injured player talk about their recovery. Charlie Granger was up there that day. Terry Howard was up there. They they had loads of different people each week, and it is a great experience. And I'm sure if you mention your own outlook podcast, you might get yourself a cheeky little discount. Oh, I don't know about that. Again, but <laughs> so again, thank you to Energy Bet for their hospitality. Um, and yeah, it was a great evening. So your views, so as you can imagine, a huge amount of feedback after this match. So thank you for all the views that came into our social media accounts, and we always try to read out as many as possible. And just because we read them doesn't mean we agree with them. So we'll start off with at Orient Meat Pie, who said, we love a draw, don't we? Showing more fight at least. And considering we were playing 12 men with 10 men, 
we've got to be happy with that result. Yeah, C. Bellamy 80A said, another draw, another two goals conceded, another poor defensive display, another woeful referee, another game starting with one up front. Will we ever learn? Yeah, a record blew up. It's a must-win game turned into a must-not-lose thanks to some bizarre decisions by the ref. Please be fought back, but we are in a relegation dogfight. Make no excuses. Chester were a poor side and got away with a draw. The ref and loads of emoticons strangely yeah, sh- enjoyed shoulder, shoulder shrug. I actually thought Chester were, didn't play too badly. But, but we let them play. That's most of these teams Bang play on. well because we let them play well. Bang on. In, in isolation, he goes on to say, good yeah. result, all things considered. Kid Sampson O tweeted saying, in actuality, it's 13 games without a win in a poor division with all the same issues. Weak goalkeeper, terrible in defence, don't take our chances, uh, and Alex Lawless, <laughs> raising their ugly heads over and over again. That's Ingleland 2010. <clears throat> says, the ref wasn't great, but from where I was in the north, the ball crossed the line. And JSW made contact for the penalty. The free kick was harsh, but Jamie should have been goal side of the striker. But overall, a well-deserved, hard-fought point. Interesting to see some North fans saying it was over the line. It was about 50-50 split with people in the North stand. Where we were, we couldn't, couldn't really tell. see it. So It didn't look like a goal because the ball sort of hit the post and come out again. But No, it didn't, but, you know... One of those things. Steve Jones, 177, said, Despite feeling hard done by with some dodgy decisions... Both goals should have been dealt with better. That being said, bold changes at half-time and second half was a spirited performance and grabbed the deserved equaliser. Needed Ross to keep his head when others lose Yeah, theirs. good tweet there, Steve. At fan underscore England, just playing only one up front cost us the first half once again. Whilst we also have a director of football who can't even see that we have been crying out for an experienced keeper. Get rid of Ling. So Ling... I'd say over the last two weeks now has come up for a lot of more criticism. and more criticism on yeah. Twitter. Let us know what you think about Martin at Orient Outlook on Twitter. Yeah, or search for us on Facebook Orient Outlook Podcast or you can email us the old-fashioned way Orient Outlook at Outlook.com. Look at you, yes. Back like to it. the tweet, yeah. Getting pro at this. At Tolu underscore Sango said, Dayton and McEnough were excellent today, much more effective when they're not forced to stay out wide. Yeah, good point. At Bill Fleetie <clears throat> said, I thought Granger was a poor keeper and then along came Sergeant. Why can't managers and coaches see that these two are not good enough? We should have started the season with a proper number one. At Philip Tissington said, Sergeant at fault for both goals, redeemed himself with the penalty save, which was his fault in the first place. Him and Granger, not good enough. At Adam Fan, it's one eighty-six. says, as much as I'm sure the officials weren't helping, that can be no excuse for not turning over a team at home, which we should be beating handsomely we're going to get ourselves out of this mess yeah then CM Oriental messaged us saying that performance from the referee last night was pretty bad I've been to see her seven times so far this season and we all know how poor the officiating has been in this league but last night was the worst I can ever remember seeing that said we still seem pretty poor in defence lacking confidence and it shows other teams know this the sooner we get Elokobi and Coulson back the better we need a no-nonsense manager ASAP who can st- instil discipline and structure the season the season is a write-off and the new man will need to work with next season in mind the sooner we get an experienced man the better hopefully by the end of this month lots of people keep talking about Elokobi and Coulson coming back but that is still a while off that is still a very still weeks long while off, off. Yeah. yeah so final mm-hmm. word on this one Goes to at Richie J. Bourne. He says, before the game, two against Chester would have been a poor result. But after that ref in that game, it was the best we were going to get. So thank you to everyone who tweeted us after the match. And sorry if we haven't read yours out. So prediction league update. So well done to at Stephen Orient, who was the only person to correctly predict the tool scoreline. And he also had McCauley Bond to score. 
given him a bonus point as well. So well done to Stephen. Thanks yeah. for all your predictions over the last week. And we'll have a league update later on in the show. So moving on then, Wednesday the 22nd of November, the under-18s were in action as Danny Webb's Young Guns faced Scholing FC at home in the second round of the FA Youth Cup with a trip to West Bromwich Albion awaiting the winners in the third round. And we are delighted to say that the Young O's won the match 5-0 with a double from Jaden Phillips and one each from Sam Dolby, Rule Satoriu and Charles Claydon. So huge kudos and well done to the Young O's and I look forward to seeing that date and hopefully I'll be able to yeah. get up to West Brom. Yeah, it should be a good good match yeah, there. support so the youth. Mate, up the Young O's, mate. Thursday, 23rd of November at 3pm. This came a bit out of nowhere. The club yeah, announced the loan signing of 28-year-old centre-back Bonds and Gala from Dagenham and Redbridge for one month. Yeah, just the type of defender we needed, right? Big, strong and experienced. And hopefully yeah. by the time his loan comes to an end, maybe Big George will come back. Yeah. I mean, and, uh, we'll have them two at the back. That would be quite impressive. I thought he was a bit older because he's played for so many clubs. Yeah. I thought he might have been he's a bit older. About 28 is decent. I think a lot of people would highlight already. He's played for Martin Allen twice. He's followed Martin Allen around a bit. He's played under Chris Kinnear. As well, at Dover, so people loan. they offered him a contract, yeah. and he turned him down. So people making assumptions already based on that signing, but a good bit of business there from Orient. At yeah. Gorillas nineteen eighty five tweeted us, so it'd be interesting to see if he starts to hit instead of Ellis on Saturday. If so, clearly Ellis is not wanted anymore. Also, who made the decision to sign another centre back? Considering we have Clark, Pollock, Ellis, and even Willowson to partner happy on Saturday. Yeah, Rayleigh Dave said needed with Ellis's loan ending and Sendall's white suspension, but would have preferred a new keeper. Yeah, so Ellis's loan is finished. That finished at the close of play yesterday. So Did. Mark Ellis, as far as we know, now has gone back to Carlisle. So we wish him the best and thank him for his efforts in an orange shirt. Also, on Thursday, the club kicked up their recruitment drive by advertising for a finance manager. Details of all the vacancies are available on the club's website. How about that? Finance manager for you? No. Do, do a bit of numbers? I'm all right with quick arithmetic, but not not that. <laughs> you need you need ACCA or Seymour, and that's certainly nothing I've got. Mooney, Friday, as it Mooney. was on the 24th of November. Toby Stevenson, uh, young Toby, joins Haybridge Swifts on loan. So a very, very uh, good luck, and I hope you have an enjoyable and fruitful stay at Haybridge Swifts yeah. and then later on in the day James Brophy is recalled by his parent club Swindon Town from his loan spell at the O's he had a 24 hour uh, release clause and um, he on Twitter made the following statement yeah he said to everyone involved with Leighton Orient thank you for all the kind messages I want to thank you all for welcoming me into the club the short time that I was there albeit the results were not what I had hoped I thoroughly enjoyed my experience and will look back on it fondly with the squad, structure and fans there. I look forward to watching things turn around and the club getting back to where it belongs in the Football League and signed off. James Brophy. I thought that was a really nice message there. 100%. Absolutely spot on. Big credit uh, for me. So your views on really, Mr Brophy? Really disappointed because I think we were just starting to see the best of him and annoying that they recalled him today when the team were travelling to, to Torquay when all the prep, all the pre you know, midweek work had been done around tactics and what they were going to do. And you could recall the guy, it's their right and privilege to do that. that. Is absolutely. I don't disagree with that. But to do it on a Friday, like why not recall him earlier in the week? Maybe there was an injury that they had to call him back for. Don't know so much about mm. him. But he, I know he was on the bench for them yesterday and they lost one to Newport. For me, good. I thought we were just about to see the best of Brophy. Yeah. I thought he was getting there and a shame we've lost him. So for me, he deserves a crack back at League Two. So hopefully he will take, make it with Swindon. So Saturday... 25th of November, he kept this one quiet. It's a happy birthday to Leighton Orient Vice Chairman and Principal Investor, Mr. Kent T. So, hope you had a great day, Kent, and also hope you had a great Thanksgiving 
on Thursday. Yeah, absolutely. Then the under-18s drew 0-0 at home to Wimbledon. Yep, and in Torquay away. So it's 84 days since Orient last won a match. So we weren't able to make it um, away to Torquay, but we spoke before we started recording to Phil Mellows um, about the experience at Torquay. So he was there, and this is his review of Torquay. Um, so I hope you enjoy it. And this is Phil on Torquay, recorded earlier this evening. Yep, so the team was announced with Charlie Granger in goal, the back four of Jacob Preece, Bonzangala, Happy and Willowson, and the midfield of Westbrook, Clay, Dayton, McEnough and Caroma, with Howard up front. On the bench we had Sam Sargent, Mark Ellis, Romain Bucco, Rossitoriu and David Mooney, with Bonzangala making his first start for the O's as Alex Lawless missed the game with a groin injury. So your views on the team, Mr Levy? Yeah, but also Bond misses out through suspension, which yes. a lot of the prediction tweets wanted, yeah, were predicting Bond, but he was replaced by Harold. Uh, and Karoma comes in for James Brophy, who was recalled, as we mentioned, uh, on Friday. So a few changes there. Uh, enforced changes, but quite excited. Uh, Bonds and Gala should really help steady us at the back, while the midfield is fairly attack-minded. Interesting that Josh Karoma's back in the starting eleven and not on the bench. And I wondered at that point uh, what happened to, to Alex Lawless, but he missed the game, as we say, with a groin injury. Bench could be stronger, but I'm quite pleased that Romy Bocco was on it. Yeah, you like Bocco, don't I you? I do. You are a fan of Bocco. For me... I am. I like the shape of the team. I thought it was a massive opportunity for Josh Karoma. He's not been in the team for a while. And for me, it looks like Mooney's going to have to work really hard to get back into the starting eleven. So really yeah. tough at the moment for Moose. Defence for me is expected with Ngala coming in. Certain midfield looked creative with Dayton and Clay. And having McEnough and Karoma on the wings should provide good width. And obviously we write all this in hindsight before the game actually kicks off. So Which we, is which is a which is a brilliant way to do it because hindsight is an amazing thing. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. So we're now delighted to, unfortunately we weren't able to make the long trek down to Torquay, but we are delighted to say we're now joined by Phil Mellows, who was at the match yesterday, probably sadly for in, in his case, <laughs> making his podcast debut. Phil, welcome to the podcast. Give us your thoughts on, on the team lineup then. Yeah, yeah thanks, thanks. Nice, nice to be here. Yeah, I, I felt uh, quite positive about it really, because uh, losing Brokey, uh, Brokey and Macca, um that we perhaps we lacked some some pace going forward, but uh, then I thought that uh, well, we would bring a Corolla in that that should uh, put that right and give us that uh, extra pace. So I was quite pleased about that, and uh, good to have some extra experience uh, with the, the the newcomer Ngala uh, in the in the uh, central defence uh, as well, alongside alongside Happy. So that was positive, and uh, and the, the way they they lined up at the, the kick off. Uh, uh, McEnough and uh, and Dayton were, were pushed, pushed quite far forward, so it looked like we were going to set out to uh, to really uh, attack Torquay, but it, it, that wasn't to be. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So the match kicked off then. So what were the opening fifteen minutes like? Um, that they were quite um, quite poor from the Orient point of view. I I thought that um, um, yeah, that Orient really didn't get the ball forward at all. I, I think that uh, Dayton had the Got close to the penalty area once before running into trouble, but apart from that, there was there was really nothing, and there was lots of passing uh, along the back four, and and in particular passing back to Charlie Granger and put, put him under pre- too much pressure, I thought, on a number of occasions. But everybody seemed very nervous and uh, un- unwilling to take a risk with you know passing the ball forward. Um, so it, it wasn't really a great surprise to me when when, when the goal came. And yeah, bringing that in quite nicely. I was listening to Ozone and Dave Victor and Matt Hiscox were saying exactly the same thing. Really, everyone seemed to be 
nervous and scared to, to, to actually have the ball at their feet. And so in the 15th minute, then Torquay took the lead. Craig Clay gave the ball away very, very easily. Um, from what I understand, he wasn't under any pressure and Torquay capitalised. Keating crossed in for on-loan Luton striker Josh McCoy, who's decent at, at, at this level. But, uh, top, uh, Luton, the top of League Two, so you can see why. Um, they put 1-0 up. Um, Phil, t tell us about that goal. Yeah, well, as you described it, really, the claim was under no pressure at all, and uh, um, I'm, I'm not sure what, who he was supposed to be passing to, but it pushed up at the feet of uh, a talky player, and he, he crossed it, and there may have been a hint of a deflection uh, on the cross, but nevertheless, I mean, the Orient defence didn't seem ready for that, and um, it, it, was, it was a simple chance, really, the, the goal given away too easily, once again, uh, scored by Josh McQuaid. So like you said, we conceded a goal very similar to the kind of number of goals we have conceded early yeah. on as well. So we find ourselves a goal down after 15 minutes. What was the response like from Orient? Did we look like we wanted it more, a bit of goal down, or did we uh, back off? No, there wasn't, there wasn't much change really. It was, it, it was more of the same, too much hesitancy, uh, an indecision at the back, and, and, and really not, not look, didn't seem to be looking to... Uh, play the football forwards at all. Um, it, it was it was it was quite a strange performance, and certainly the worst I've seen this season. I haven't seen them play away. Uh, this first game I've seen them play, them play away, but I've seen nearly every home game, and uh, uh, it, it, it was it, it was it was very disappointing. Mm. And then in the 30th minute, things went from bad to worse as a low drive from distance uh, from Luke Young beat Charlie Granger to make it two 0 Tell us about that goal. Uh, Phil? Yeah, it was, it was another another misplaced pass this time by uh, by Westbrook that, that put the, the, the Luke Young in and um, and uh, he, he shot that he, uh, he, it was a well directed shot into the corner. Um, uh, but you wonder whether it was that powerful, so you wonder whether Charlie Granger might have done a bit better with it. But it, it's hard to, I, I wouldn't have saved it. So <laughs> uh, yeah, it's hard for me to say. So I don't, I don't want to blame Charlie for that one. But um, yeah, again, it, it was just very easy. He had uh, you know, all of the goal to aim at, really, and uh, and scored. So two 0 down after half an hour, almost three 0 after thirty two minutes. But Granger saved a powerful Davis shot. Uh, and from the resulting corner, Keaton shoots wide, so quite lucky yeah. to not be free down in the first Yeah, I, I would say that the Liam Davis was uh, looked, looked really good to me from each of them. They was playing well, uh, at uh, left wing back, but he was all over the pitch. and uh, He was uh, up, not only up and down the wing, but he, was, he got into the box as well. And as you say, he had a, had a good shot there and well saved by, uh, by, by Granger, but he, he was a real threat throughout. 38th minute, Route 1 football from the O's. As Karoma sets up Dayton, we finished by scoring, but was ruled offside. Was that the correct decision? Was it a blatant offside? Yeah, I, I, I couldn't see from where I was. I wasn't, I wasn't in line, but there were too much complaint about it, I don't think. Um, it, it's worth noting that um, it was from a, it was a, a, a Dayton free kick, as you say, but it, it got a flick on from Harold. And in fact, uh, Matt Harold was winning quite a lot in the air, but with, with no result apart from this that fell for. Uh, uh, sorry, the, 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 sorry, it was the, the, wasn't Dane's key free kick. It would have been run incredibly fast to get there. But, uh, um, but uh, he, he, uh, he, he picked out one of them to score. He struck it well. Uh, it was well taken. But uh, yeah, it, uh, there's no complaints that it, it was offside. The rest of the half was played out. In the 45th minute, Granger came for a ball with Reed, but took a knock. He was treated uh, for four minutes, but was allowed to continue. And the half time whistle went shortly after. 
Orient training 2-0. So your thoughts on the first half, Phil? Probably could guess them. But... Yeah, just on that, that final incident, um, yeah, it was another bad pass back uh, from, from Widdowson, which was falling short of uh, Granger and to run out and fall at the feet of the striker and then got injured uh, from that. So again, it was another defensive error, really. And a, a call resulted in it. I was a bit surprised that Granger didn't come off because Orient had to defend the corner straight away from that and the, he was clearly injured they brought the stretcher on and then took the stretcher off again but I thought that that was a bit bit risky leaving him on really and at the half time of course he was, he was substituted um, so, so, so yeah I'm not sure why he didn't go off then it would have been the safer thing to do I think you mentioned Paul on Tuesday night there were several hospital balls played in where the passes just aren't quite there and you're putting teammates under pressure risk of a, of a sliding challenge like we've seen yeah and it sounds like there was a load more season. load more in that half so the attendance was announced as 1913 with 316 hardy souls from the east end yeah. traveling down there so kudos to you and everybody else that did make that effort and as we just touched on the second half kicked off we've made two substitutions as sam Sargent comes in for charlie granger and romy bocco comes on for zane westbrook um apart from his mistake um, to give their second goal, um, Phil. How did how did he do generally? Um, yeah, I, I, there, there were lots of misplaced passes. In fact, from from, from everyone, I, I don't really want to single out uh, a, a player for making mistakes. Everybody seemed to be making mistakes. It was weird. Um, so, but uh, yeah, I, I thought bringing Bocco on did, did add something. I thought Bocco seemed to find a bit more space in midfield and more kind of forward looking which was uh, what we needed so that that was quite a positive substitution I thought yeah excellent and then just two minutes into the second half though the match over as a contest as Jamie Reid added a third and made a three nil to Torquay uh, Phil talk us through the goal and then obviously you, obviously you was in the away end and what was also the atmosphere like at this point in the away end Yeah. 
83rd minute, uh, Raul Satori came on for Josh Caroma. So how did Josh do? Because we've not seen too much of Josh in the last couple of months. Uh, yeah, he, he just wasn't getting it, getting, getting the ball at all hardly, which is a shame because, you know, I, I like him and um, it was good to see him in the, to start in the, yesterday. But uh, no, he just didn't seem to be able to get into the game at all. As I said at the beginning, you know, really uh, looking to use his pace, but he, he never he never got the opportunity. until the 86th minute um, after that. Have, have we missed anything in particular in those uh, sort of 20 odd minutes, Phil? Uh, no, the only thing I would say that the final leaves in the 69th and 73rd, I see I've made notes, 69th and 73rd minutes, um, uh, Caprice had a, a, a actually got to the, got to the byline and made a couple of crosses. The first one went straight to the goalkeeper, the second one uh, missed everyone, but one it was a better cross. But, uh, but the, the, it took that long for him to actually get, get that far upfield. We don't know he's a great threat when he does that, but um, you know it was far too far too late by then. His and then of course he gets himself sent off. Yeah. <laughs> tell us about sending off then. I mean, I haven't seen the challenge, but a lot of people says it was a stupid straight challenge red. and yeah. straight red. So yeah, yeah. Well, he he, he, he was he was he was dithering on the ball to be honest, and and, and got caught and lost possession. Then he kind of half won it back and then lost it again, and he just got really frustrated and chased after the bloke and uh, and slid in from behind. It was terribly late. The ball was long gone, and he he did it. You know, it's from behind and it took his legs away from him, and it, it looks really bad. It wasn't a violent challenge by any means, but uh, I was I was not surprised at all when he was shown the red card. And then the rest of the match is played out with three added minutes. The full time whistle goes and. And our terrible, uh, our terrible run continues as we lose three 0 Give us your sort of final summary thoughts on the game, then, Phil. Yeah, it, it, it was it was a strange one for me because um, uh, uh, Orient just didn't seem to address any of the issues they had in previous games. And following two games when you know they have played well and they, they should have gained confidence from that, they just seemed very uh, very nervous and unconfident. So uh, than ever, and I, I really don't know um, why that was. Nobody seemed to want to take responsibility in defence. Nobody wanted to seem, seem to take a risk of passing the ball forwards, uh, and, uh, and 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 uh, nobody even seemed to want to clear the ball properly. They, they they wanted to give the ball to somebody else to clear it. Um, I don't want to single out any players because they were all all the same. <laughs> um, so that something was. Uh, uh, very wrong there, and in fact, um, Torquay should have had at least a couple more goals. Really, they missed some uh, good chances, and the, the surprising thing was that uh, I was in the amongst some Torquay supporters, and and they were getting really angry with their own team for for not taking these chances and, and making it five or six nil. Uh, so, so that that was the, that was the reflection of the balance of play. Really, I felt. So that was Phil Mellows on the Talkie game yesterday. So a massive thank you to Phil for giving up part of his Sunday evening to come and talk to us. And if you go to any away games that we can't make, please let us know and you could be filling in for us and giving us your views on the match. So again, massive thank you to Phil. So Yeah, brilliant. Brilliant summary there. Um, Dave Victor spoke to Ross Embleton after the match who said that he wanted to apologise 
to the supporters who travelled. Losing James Brophy late was tough to take, but that's not an excuse for that performance, which was unacceptable. And Charlie Granger has a shoulder injury, but we're not sure uh, of the extent of the damage. Yep, so league table in. So that defeat means that the O's stay in 20th in the National League, just one place above the relegation places, three points above them as well. So we've played 22, won five, drawn six, lost 11, with a goal difference of minus 12. On 21 points. So your views on yesterday, Mr. Levy? I was absolutely fuming yesterday. I know you texted me, yeah. I was absolutely furious. And I'm f- still furious with this result and think we need a bit of a clear out of some of the rubbish that we've got in our squad. To not even turn up and give 100% in a match is disgraceful and unprofessional. And that's really, quite frankly, being quite polite. Family show, family show. Absolutely. <laughs> when, when the club is providing an excellent environment to play your football, there is never an excuse not to turn up. And I'm getting a bit bored with the switching off and the not concentrating part. I, I, I really don't dig that anymore because we're now literally one game short of being halfway through the season that some of these players have been playing. And I, I just don't feel that that's acceptable. I personally feel really sorry for the 300-odd fans who trek all the way down there uh, to watch that abject display. I think all the players, without exception, um, should be absolutely ashamed of themselves. Uh, obviously, wish Charlie Granger uh, a speedy recovery in that. Yeah, my views in. So it sounded like a shocking performance uh, <coughs> where the team offered very little. I was really surprised by this, actually. Based on the last two performances under Ross, we'd shown grit, yeah. we'd shown determination, Let a bit of down. fight. And I've seen the lineup. I was fairly confident. Yeah. I thought Ross was going to go for this. Mm. This was a decent team. First yeah. half, clearly weren't at the races. Uh, and the early second half goal just kills the match. But, I mean, what is the issue in? What's the issue with why, the club? What's going on? I mean, these players aren't poor players. They've, all played, they've all played league... Most yeah. of them played league above. They've all played in the National League before. So what's going on? Yeah. Woodhouse yeah. and Kane... From Dagenham and Redbridge, so he he's, he's been there. He's done it. Most other players played Jake. in the football league. Jake's played at Woking. So, really odd. Really odd. I've said we were too good to go down numerous times this season, my friend. But we're not. Having seen the situation before, and said the same thing. We're not too good to go down. I no. think it's a very distinct possibility. I think the players have to buck up their ideas and start playing and battling for the shirt. Caprice. You know, you're free and all down, mate. You do not need to make a challenge like that in the 86 minute. There's only one thing that's going to happen, and that means you miss a game next week. So, as bad as it does seem at the moment, I do think with the right managerial appointment, we will climb up the table. So, hopefully, that comes sooner rather than later, and we do get the right man. Yeah. But next week's match now, way to bottom of the league, Solly Hall, is absolutely massive. Yeah. It's a big six pointer, isn't it? Yep. So those were our views. Uh, your views, we had the disclaimer earlier on in the podcast, but feel it's appropriate to, to mention that some of the tweets we're about to, to, to mention um, were written when emotions were clearly running very high and people tweeted us some, some of these tweets, which will sound quite harsh and personal. So to repeat our earlier statement, these are the views of the tweeter and not of ours. Yes, yeah, so these are what Orient fans are tweeting in <coughs> to us at David Sears 3. said, I'm fast losing interest, really not enjoying football anymore. We sink to a new low almost on almost a weekly basis. Last year was awful, but this O's team is the worst I've seen in 26 years. And David also sent us a snapshot of the Torquay official forum. Well, one of their fans said, Orient were one of, if not the worst team I have seen at Plainmore in my 30 years as a Torquay United fan. The first goal and many of our chances in the first half came from Orient's own making. A day like today was a chance to improve the goal difference and create some confidence. Orient were that bad. Yeah. And that was a Torquay fan on their own official forum. So make 
out of that what you will. Yep. Um, Sam underscore Billing 786 said, you can tell we have no leaders in the team. We haven't won a league game since Ella Kobe's been injured. Good point there. LOFC Chaz said, Solihull could define our season. Winner, I think we stay up, but lose. And in my opinion, we are down. At Dunmark said, any progress made in the last two games completely gone. At SMCCA 8421 says, the LOFC nightmare that will never end. Next manager is such a big appointment. I'm more than happy to get rid of Embleton if he wants his own men around him. Allen and Whitbread for me. These are desperate, desperate times. That's, that's Martin Allen and Adrian yes. Whitbread. So Len M4 tweeted saying, didn't think relegation was possible until today after that shambolic performance. If none of the players wants to play for this club as if it's their own, then they have to go. Embarrassed to be a fan tonight. Yeah, the Dorset Viking, and this is an edited clean version of the original tweet because this one wasn't clean at all says do they even want to play for this club if they don't just do one and leave no questions asked just do one and go I'm sick of a squad of spineless players who can't be bothered to turn up for the law fans who travel the country to support them hashtag joke club and that again was heavily edited perfect I mean that that I mean that's what I was alluding to in my message like if you don't want to play for the club or if you're if you're too um, shy in terms of playing for such a large crowd compared to what you might have been playing in front of before will help you find another club. But I'm sure they will do that. They've all played in front of I'm sure. crowds. But some that haven't on a regular basis with the expectation that this club has and the budget that we have, if they're, if they're a little bit work... not um, What's the word I'm looking for? If they're a little bit too shy to be playing in for such a stature of a club, then we'll help you move on. It's not the end of the world. Like We'll move you out and we'll get someone in that does want to be here because there'll be people queuing at the front door to well, get into so. our club. So, so I think Dorset Viking hits a bit of a nail on the head. I'm sick and tired of, of defending uh, some of the abject performances that we're treated to each week. ALB5399 said, Embarrassing, disgraceful waste of time. All words to describe every Orient player in an Orient kit today. Hashtag not fit to wear the shirt. Uh, Orient Dave has sounded one of, like one of the worst matches in our history. These players just do not look up to it and lack any type of fight. At Orient Viking um, said, shambles, need a keeper, centre half, ball winning midfielder, winger, striker to partner Bond, and a manager capable of getting them organised. Oh, and not. Sorry, oh, and not injury-prone 30-year-olds. That's Orient underscore fans is absolutely gutted. A performance that lacked passion, fight and desire. These are words that we were using last, last week, week positives. Yeah, absolutely. Using these negatives. This could yeah. be a massive week in terms of our season. Appoint a manager, rally these players and get a performance on Saturday as we are now in a dogfight. Matty LOFC Evans said, First off, the club need to refund those who travelled to watch that utter shambles. Secondly, no club is too big to be relegated. We need a new manager who will kick some backsides and get us out of this relegation dogfight. The club has sunk to a new low. Yeah, and I think a lot of fans want like your Allen and your Stills, people like that, because they know they won't take any of those orders, but I don't think any of those managers come in and work under a director of football. That could be wrong, but we shall see on that one. At LOFC 1978 says, Hope the happy clappies are enjoying their season of consolidation. Embleton to be given the job? Don't make me laugh. Oh, but we aren't in a relegation battle, though, are we? Players don't care. Another red card. Fancy some time off then, Jake. Utterly embarrassing. Yeah. Paul Stokes under, Paul underscore Stokes 39 said, people need to get out the mindset that we're too good to go down. If we were, then we wouldn't be in this mess in the first place. Anyone who still thinks we can get relegated needs a brain transplant. Ben D. Bollard is too good to go down with two inexperienced keepers, error-prone defenders, safe limited midfielders and two for the strikers apart from Bonn. Ill-equipped for 46 games in the conference. 
looks like relegation to me. Gorillas 1985. So we are we. Are now have no we now have no win in fourteen league games. That's the worst in the top five English leagues and all four of the Scottish leagues. One of the worst runs in the club's history. Not even you know who put us through this. I swore and happy to pay a fine for it. Hashtag disgusting. Well, I saved you from that fine, but you can feel free to pay that fine to the club directly. <laughs> At Speno 11 says we have to seriously regroup. Absolute shambles today. Defensively, we've lost the plot. Torquay were made to look like world beaters. The new manager is needed now, and he has to be the right choice, because if Lynn gets it wrong, we are down. There's no fight. There's no discipline. There's nothing there. And to go back to Lee's point, we are the worst club in the country at the moment in terms of wins. Sunderland won yesterday, which means our winless run is the longest, followed by West Brom and in Halifax. Okay. So, sorry, you just did Speno. Yep. Lovely. So, Mike, uh, Mike Hero Bertrist said, I'm sure I've read that wrong. Mike, Mike Robert Trist. Sorry, Mark Robert Trist. Sorry about that. No heart <laughs> in this team at all. Morale through the floor and no manager. Change is needed fast, and that includes saying goodbye to Ling. He bought in most of them. Don't see the point of a, in a director of football and get at this level. Seven seven three zero four six is in fifty eight years supporting the O's. I have never felt as low as I do tonight. I really fear now for the rest of the season. The imminent appointment is so 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 important. And there is a bit of a statement from the club about that, which we'll read in just a few moments. Yep. Marquio's double one zero six said best chance of. We have of not going down to tier six is getting rid of DOF position, hiring the best manager possible immediately who can bring his staff and utilise January window as he sees fit. And there's a bit of a disparity here that, that Martin Ling works with the manager to do all the negotiations, to do all the tracking, to do to, to, to help bring in the right players, that he and the manager feel are right for what the manager wants to play. I see a lot of director of footballs generally go out and bring in the players and tell the manager, right, play this one and play that one. But but actually I think I don't think I'm I'm really confident, hand on heart, that that's not happening with Martin Ling. And Martin is working with the manager so that they can just focus on the training pitch and he does all the, the business end of it, if you like. I think there's a, a real misconception. I'm sure Nigel or Kent will get in touch and correct us if I'm uh, if I'm wrong in, in, in anything that I've just said. But I'm pretty sure that they're a team together. And Martin even came on the podcast when he first got appointed and said, he works for me as much as I work for him. I think the fear is that you won't be able to get a disciplined, established manager to work under a director of football. I think that's where the confusion yeah, comes in. At Wingsmad, says, we need an experienced manager and fast. We are now in a relegation dogfight. I find it unbelievable that my local club, Welling, could be playing Orient in a league game next season. Some big signings needed in January. As no one, it's too big to go down. Yeah, Essex Biz said, embarrassing, pathetic, laughing stock. Some of these players aren't fit to wear our shirt. Proof? Who busted a gut to get back and defend for the third goal? No one. Team togetherness? Not on the evidence of today. No apologies, please. Stick them. Under 18s to start the next game. Or in underscore Ed says, can't blame Davis now, so blame Ling. Always need a scapegoat, don't we? Most of these players are football league standard on paper. Who fans were thrilled? What? who fans were thrilled with while saying, well done, Martin. What a total hypocritical bunch we are. Pandemonium1881 said, what we needed above all following the last three years were players to play for the shirt. Afraid to say we don't seem to have that at the moment. Great point there from Matt at Orient Boyce. Players to blame, nobody else. No responsibility taken, no accountability felt, no discipline from Bod in midweek, and none from Caprice today. It cost us players. 
Our players don't deserve the owners or the fans. If I took my wages and performed like that, dot, dot, dot. Yeah, Orient Chris said, the plan is simple now. Somehow try and survive and replace pretty much the entire squad. That was probably the worst performance, using speech marks, I've had the misfortune to witness. Ineptitude taken to a new level. Our only one team says, what went on today? Really thought we were turning the corner. Last two games weren't brilliant, but we showed heart and today sounded like we just laid down and died. Relying on lone players is costing us. Why are we not playing in the youth? New managers are fighting his hands with this lot. Hatteroid said, All I can say in consolation as a Luton fan, we lost at home to Hyde once. Hard to take, but we're on our way back. Took us five seasons. It's a long haul to get back, but you will do it. Brilliant tweet, that. Lovely, and he follows us. I don't know who it is, so Hatteroid, get in contact and let us know how you started following an Orient podcast. It'd be quite interesting to hear your views. At Les OK, 52. So silver silver linings are not in bottom four, Elikobian Corson will return, new manager hopefully, and a January transfer window. I know it's not good, but please don't give up just yet. So a bit of a silver lining there. Yeah, nice one, Les. And the final word goes to at Orient Fan TV, who said, All the players involved today should be ashamed of the performance they've put in. The fans have yet again been terribly let down. No wins in 14 games is embarrassing. Need to get a manager in ASAP and support him in the January transfer window. Otherwise, we're down. So thank you very much indeed for all the tweets and and in you know feedback that you've given us. I'm sorry we can't read every single tweet out. Um, but yeah, I think we move on to wrap. Absolutely. Wrap so prediction league update then. Only one correct prediction for this <laughs> match. So well done to at Dirk Turk. Matt, where were you today at swimming class? We correctly <laughs> predicted 3-0 to Torquay. So that means... The top three in the table are at Samuel LOFC 97 on 15 points, at Lawton Gamps and Unexpected Item 0 and tied in second on 14 points, and Nice Shot Steve, Smith Jack 7 and Tony underscore Antonio all tied in third in 13 points. And thanks for all your predictions. And to go back to the swimming point, that's not I'm learning to swim, that's our daughters are learning to swim. You just are, in case anyone's wondering what I'm doing, get a swimming class. Sunday the twi- There's no shame in that. Sunday the 26th of November, the club put out the following statement this afternoon that said... 14 games without a win is both unexpected and totally unacceptable. The board fully understands the corner needs to be turned and turned very quickly. Martin Ning and the board are working hard on identifying and hiring a head coach. We hope to announce an appointment soon. However, this is a very important appointment and we will not substitute speed for good due diligence on the candidates. For me, I think that's a good statement. The board have come out and said, look, it's going to take time. We're not rushing. Don't panic. We'd rather take a week or two longer than what you would expect if we get the right man in. So for me, there's no problem with that. I guess one of the things about bringing a director of football in is that when Steve was sacked, he doesn't take away our entire backroom team. So you've still got Ross behind the scenes with Dean Burrell, Danny Webb. They're all still there. The whole management team hasn't gone. It's just one vacancy. And apart from yesterday, I think Ross has done done himself proud yeah. so, and I don't think it was no Ross panic. that let himself down so I think it's the team that let him down yeah, because that a, was not a Ross but as a, but as a manager though you're always accountable so of like course. what we said isn't it so of course. I think that was a good statement I welcome that and I think that's a kudos to the club for getting that out so quickly absolutely and it's more than, than what you'd normally get at other clubs absolutely. so I don't think people should be um, too, too upset by that yep so the ladies team were in action today and obviously, they were victorious again as they came out <laughs> 2 0 winners versus obviously. Stevenage with goals from Daniel Griffiths from the penalty spot and that Sark's 11. So they're now second in the league. So well done, ladies. Also, the development team beat Enfield Town reserves 3 0 with goals from Joe, Tamara, and Daphne Delina. So nice. Ladies smashing it. Even the development ladies are smashing Got it. Got to so get down there. Got to get down there. At some um, point, we aren't going to talk about the men's team, just the women's. Well, tonight would have been a perfect. We might just do a ladies' podcast. It would have been brilliant to do that tonight. So let's round this up then because yeah. we're looking at a bumper show uh, as I said at the top of this show. Fancy football update. 
uh, our league that we are running. Dave Hyten is top uh, on 749 points with Sarah Garlic second on 741 points and Tim Roberts third on 733 points and I am delighted to announce that my South Stand chum <laughs> has moved up several Mate, like 20 odd places up it. to 111th it. turn it round need to get in the top 100 by Christmas <clears> and this it's senior set for me to win the league. Wow, yeah, so coming come yeah. as a late late run. So, so positives and negatives this week? Yep, so I'll take the positives because they're unbelievably, there are a few. So first of all, we're not in the relegation places. Tenuous, so yeah. tenuous, so we'll take that. Tuesday night, decent point against the odds. Yep. Good fighting spirit shown. And lastly, we've got a double header. Ladies team results from today and the under-18 youth progression in the FA Cup. So there are positives still to take. So I'll leave you with the negatives. Yep, terrible performance on Saturday against Torquay. Yep. Uh, Jake Caprice's red card and obviously sadly an unwelcome record of no win in 84 days well it'll be at least 91 until the next one and that's if we beat Solihull if we beat Solihull big what if. a terrible thing that we could say <laughs> if we beat Solihull anyway Hero of the Week this week is yeah. it's 316 fans sorry yeah. that went to Torquay well so done. I think you well deserve that absolutely brilliant so well done to everyone who made the journey so next week's fixtures in just one fixture next week as we travel to Solihull on Saturday the 2nd of December so Solihull the bottom of the league in 24th place on 13 points with a minus 21 goal difference after drawing one all with Gates on Saturday and surely this is a must win game for the club six pointer isn't it yeah if you're going have a safe journey and if you're going and want to come on the podcast next Sunday let us know because currently we aren't going I can't go no. um, it's my wife's birthday so I'm definitely not going so if you're going and want to come on the pod like Phil did let us know we'll get you on Yep. Additionally, the draw for the FA Vars takes place on the month on the twenty seventh of November. So keep your eyes out for Orion in that draw, and keep your eyes out for our mugs that we're hoping to have online very shortly. As soon as we've got them, we'll let you know prices to be confirmed. So that's it. Thank you very very much in joining us for an extended episode number one hundred and twenty three. It's been another very difficult week on the pitch with two fixtures you would look at on paper and think would be a walkover. On Tuesday night, we showed great fight. And Resilience to take a point at home to Chester in a match that will be remembered for an awful, awful referee and display. And then on Saturday, we travelled to lonely Torquay. Mostly confident following two battling displays and got completely outplayed and outbattled, losing the game 3-0. With some Orient fans proclaiming the performance to be the worst they have ever seen from an Orient team. Uh, and that's quite a statement considering we have people like Paul Rush in charge. <laughs> Make no mistake, we are in big trouble at the moment, but we have faith in Nigel, Kent and Martin and the rest of the board to make the correct managerial appointment. Away from the first team, the under-18s had two decent results and will and will be playing at the Hawthorns against West Bromwich Albion, which will give them a great experience and the ladies keep yeah, up well their done. winning ways as well. Off the pitch, you can see the impact Danny Macklin wants to make with the positions he is creating, so exciting times off the yeah, pitch. Yeah, so we'll be back with episode 124 next week with all the information and views that you could ever need. So again, a massive thank you to Tom Davis from Loftley coming on. A massive thank you to Steve Jenkins for giving up his time before the Chester match and to Phil Mellows who came on to speak about the Torquay match. And if you're listening on iTunes, please subscribe and give our podcast a review. Know in on the amount of listens we get and the amount of reviews we get, there's an awful lot of people who are listening to this now who aren't reviewing us or giving us a review. Yeah, so I agree. Get on there, do it for us. You can also add us to your favourites on SoundCloud, TuneIn, and Stitcher. That way, all the podcasts will show on your timeline as soon as they're uploaded. And if you have an Orient fan in the family who doesn't listen to the podcast, give us a recommendation. You know, grab their phone, download it, grab their computer, laptop, whatever, make them listen. So we listen to you, you listen to us, and we look forward to hearing from you. And as always, keep calm, have a great week. And listen to the Orient Outlook podcast. Up the O's.